Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nacho Time. Today, I'm joined by a longtime friend of mine that met in high school and then stayed in touch all the way through this point. Uh, his name's Chad, and wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast, Chad. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So a few things I wanted to talk with you about today. Uh, before, we, before we get into those, maybe, do you mind giving the listeners a bit of background information on yourself? Maybe what you studied in school and then your, um, what you're doing now after college? Um, yeah, sure thing. Well, first off, I went to school in California for mechanical engineering. Um, since then, I've been working in product development. Um, however, with that being said, some of the topics that I'll be discussing here today with Jack are things that I find very interesting, even though I'm certainly no expert and we have had many discussion relating to similar topics. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, what do you do kind of in your free time when you're not doing product development stuff? In my free time? Well, um, recently I moved. And so over in this new location, I guess I've been doing a lot of trying out new hobbies from um, boxing to different sorts of um, philosophy books, actually, and other things in that regard, or I guess traveling as well. And in your philosophy reading, what's kind of been your the best thing that you've read or the thing that captured your attention most? Um, yeah, sure. Well, recently, I have kind of been trying to read books that... I guess, frighten me, <laughs> if that makes sense. So things that kind of get at the root of where things can go wrong and when things can become corrupted and and bad and use those as kind of a framework of what to stay away from in my own life. Because when looking at the extremes, it can help kind of gather more information about day-to-day non-extreme actions. Sure. I'm, I enjoy looking at the extremes too. I mean, you probably tell that from the, some of the past podcast topics and Brave New World stuff. Um, and Chad, actually, for those of you who don't know, is another person who read who read uh, Brave New World kind of along with me uh, and my other guest too. Uh, so he's well versed on the you know, whole utilitarian type model. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was I. Um, I drive a good amount for work and in order to avoid traffic in the Bay area, sometimes you need to leave at just ridiculous hours and, uh, left super, super early to avoid traffic, got down to another job site and still had, you know, a few hours before the sun came up. So I posted up at a Starbucks to do a bit of work there. And I noticed myself at the end of that little work session that I had, that I was being very, very productive, like more so than I usually am. When I'm at the office, um, and I, I share a de- or an office space with someone else, but he's a, a GPS technician. He's out in the field most of the time, so it's really my own space, um, which I like. I like kind of the privacy of it and being able to just kind of you know do my own thing in here. But I noticed that when I was at Starbucks, I was way more productive than I expected, and I was curious that maybe maybe subconsciously there's something going on where I know people are watching me and therefore need to put off some appearance like I'm being more productive. Like it's totally illogical because those people at Starbucks just are probably getting their drink and then walking out the door and they don't give two shits about someone and whether or not they look productive or not. And it shouldn't to me, but maybe that's what's going on at a you know more subconscious level. Do you find that in your life, Chad, and your work style, or is that something that's totally foreign? I certainly understand that point of view, and it's something that I've certainly had at certain during portions of my life. Um, but it isn't something I necessarily that affects me much currently. Um, when I was in college, though, there certainly were times where I would put myself consciously in situations where I knew I would be around um, peers because I knew I would hold myself more accountable from just wanting to come off as being productive or hardworking or intelligent or whatever it may be. And um, so I certainly understand it from, from that perspective. 
And from an evolutionary perspective, it certainly makes sense that you want to fit in and seem like you're, you know, contributing to the group from a, like a social perspective. Sure. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of weird. Like it shouldn't matter. And you could tell yourself it doesn't matter all day long, but then you've actually put yourself in that situation. You're like, huh, maybe I'm falling victim to it. Because I mean, don't get me wrong. I can be productive uh, when I'm on my own, especially when deadlines are approaching. Like I know how to put headphones in and buckle down and get my shit done. But I don't know, for whatever reason, this experience kind of stood out to me. Um, Yeah, that's interesting for sure. I feel like during any circumstance, at least personally, where I identify something that I ended up doing and kind of isolating some sort of subconscious motive. Um, that's certainly a helpful discovery, you know, like this is something that I can use moving forward right. that I am certainly uh, motivated by. So I guess from your perspective, what do you consider to be the ideal motivation, like environment to, to be working? I think, I don't know. I think it's a little bit situational, if I have a deadline that's very fast approaching and I need a large workspace and lay plans out and highlighters and everything, obviously I'd prefer to be at my desk because I have my two monitors, I have my laptop screen, I have an extra table off to the side. You can't have that set up at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so say, say both situations were exactly the same. I have this deadline and it requires this much workspace and it can be either done at Starbucks or at my desk, I'd probably say I'd prefer to be at Starbucks. Really? What about your coworkers? Did they have any social impact on you? you That's a good, that's a good variable to identify too. Like if I'm at the office, um, like as great as they all are, it could, can be distracting at times, uh, coming in and someone saying, Hey, I need help with this. Or can you check this out for me? Um, that can sometimes make me less productive. I think it's still productive in the long run because I'm helping the company, helping them with their tasks too. But yeah, just me specifically, it can definitely be distracting. Is that something you've found too? I certainly agree that at the office, there can be further distractions, whether that's other people asking certain um, things of you or just coming up to talk from any sort of social perspective that wouldn't really happen in Starbucks because people aren't really approaching you while you're working. Um, So I would say there are certainly times where going to a place away from people that, yeah, going away from your workspace is is beneficial. If you were to like isolate the variables though, so if the variables are um, strangers, so people you shouldn't necessarily be motivated by, but might have some sort of subtle effect on your work. So the strangers are not necessarily approaching you. They're just in an environment like that. Like Starbucks, yes. Okay. Option two would be being alone. So whether that's at your office or somewhere at your house, wherever you decide to work. And option three is your peers. So those who actually work with you. Yeah, I think, like I said before, it's very situational. Depends on the task that I need to accomplish. But let's just, for the purpose of this conversation, say everything's the same. I, I think I'd prefer like around strangers and I don't think that's, I don't know if that's the best way, but that's just the situation that I found myself more productive in. And I don't know whether that's good or bad. I wouldn't consider it either <laughs> good or bad. Yeah. Maybe um, it's neutral. Cause I guess for me, strangers can also be a distraction at times. Like I enjoy people watching from time to time. And okay. so if there is something interesting happening in the Starbucks or someone made a strange order or is causing a scene or something, I certainly will find that distracting in comparison to working alone. But I also agree that if I am alone, um, I I guess there's another aspect of when you go to Starbucks to work, you've kind of made the effort to, I'm going there to work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I don't know how to isolate the social pressure from necessarily the original intent of setting away time to get something done. If you had to make a guess on where the majority of people lie in, in those three options, where would you say, let's just take, take like a, um, random person in the U S in their mid to late twenties, 
what would you say that their preference is? Hmm. If you had to make a guess. All of this would certainly be pure conjecture. I, from my experience, I would assume that people would find their self most productive, not alone. So in front of peers or in front of strangers, I feel like the far majority of people very much care how they're being perceived um, from strangers and almost everyone from peers, but a large percentage from strangers as well. So I would, I'm not sure how to differentiate between the peers and strangers because there's pros and cons because your peers will know what you're working on and know if you're being productive legitimately, but they also have more of a social ability to distract you. Whereas strangers, it's more this underlining, just, I want to have this certain perception that is, um, of how I'm coming off to others. Right. And maybe this preference has changed throughout time. Like now we're seeing the rise of remote workers and, I mean, obviously there's plenty of other variables, but maybe this is one that contributes. People prefer working in those type of environments, maybe not surrounded by their peers where there's less distraction and maybe they prefer to be around strangers because they subconsciously feel like they need to be more productive, whether they realize it or not. Hmm. If your coworkers did not ask you for those additional tasks that you previously mentioned, do you think you would be more productive there? or around peers, or would it be the same? I think I would still be a little bit tempted to go, you know, shoot the shit with whoever in the office, just as like a little break to clear my mind. Mm -hmm. Whereas that temptation really doesn't exist at Starbucks. Do you find yourself being sidetracked ever at Starbucks or at coffee shops? I haven't yet, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm not as much of a people watcher as you. (laughs) Actually, now that I think about it, I was at a Panera the other day working, and I was quite productive. I There certainly have been times where I've been distracted, though. It's hard to... I don't have some sort of chart with all the variables of how productive I was, but there certainly is an aspect of at least going there to work as helping to be more motivated. Sure. That makes sense. So there's, there's something that kind of relates to this. Um, but me and you had a conversation a few weeks back about ways to maximize well-being and maximize pleasure. Uh, and this ties back to the, the free will uh, podcast that I was doing. I feel like a lot of these podcasts that I'm doing now and in the future, they all kind of tie back to that in a certain way. Um, and especially the, the morality and utilitarian podcast too. Uh, but you posed three ways that people maximize pleasure. Cause we've, we've already established in, in past podcasts that, um, people will only act in accordance with things that maximize their pleasure, or at least they think will maximize their pleasure. You can be wrong about that as we pointed out before. Um, but these were a little bit more specific that, that you offered. Um, do you remember what those are? I have them written down here that, so I can read off if you'd prefer. Um, no, I can, I can discuss them. Well, first off, I want to give the caveat of this is the three ways people try to, um, to maximize their pleasure over long durations of time. So this doesn't apply to short term, everyday, um, like choices of of like maximizing how you feel in the moment. It isn't necessarily that it's more, I guess, long-term meaning in terms of maximizing pleasure is more the route I was trying to take. Okay. And the three ways are one, it's kind of maximizing what society promotes as such things as wealth, um, fame, and I guess social status or power, uh, owning anything that you would look at and say that they've made their way to the top of society would be in this regard. And the should I list them all first and then we'll go into them? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. 
The next one is helping others. So you kind of, whether that's service work or helping the homeless or volunteering or trying to lower your carbon footprint on a mass scale and you kind of devote your life to that path, that's another way that people do it. And lastly, you have just trying to maximize your contentment and acceptance of your life as is. And so it's no, it's not so much striving for specific goals, more striving for contentment and happiness or pleasure, to, so to say, in your own life, just as it currently is. And in no way are these or statements, right? Like right. you could do a combination of any of these three. Um, that is, I would say yes and no, because the last one kind of has the caveat of you're accepting your life as is. So you're kind of, there are different aspects that you can have as ors, but from a, the perspective of which one motivates you most, I feel like people tend to isolate in one of the camps. Okay. So you can have one of these things be the highest contributing factor, but obviously you could still, you know, do a great deal in resource conservation and service work and still, you know, strive to be happy with where your life's at. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like people could strive for contentment and enjoy doing service work and even have that be a primary aspect of their life. But what they're striving to do is just be happy. But then contrary to that, you could have someone be striving to make as much difference as possible and almost as a secondary action be just wanting to be happy in their own life. It seems like people tend to gravitate, at least from my experience, you can tell me if you disagree, um, towards one of these three options. No, that's fair. And in the same, like another example would be someone striving to make a huge difference environmentally in the world. And then as a consequence, they get filthy rich from it. Yeah, and exactly. that wasn't exactly what they were striving for, but it happened as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, you want to dive in a little bit deeper to like, where did you even get these ideas from? Was it from something you read or something that you just kind of were thinking about and you wanted to develop like some kind of camp where people can fall into? Um, to be honest, I developed these more f- originally for myself. You know, I'm, I'm in my early 20s and trying to determine where I want to take my life. Because growing up, you have like so much potential. Everyone has so much potential. And at some point, you kind of have to make the decision of, you know, how do you want to collapse that potential and actually head down some sort of path? Because if you're just wandering, you won't be making much progress. At least that's my my mentality. And so I've been trying to isolate what I determined to be most appropriate to of what path to actually follow. And these seem to be the three that um, are decent options. And of course, all of them are subjective to some extent, like what someone finds meaningful in the world to make a difference that could be subjective and how someone finds contentment is like subjective in their own life. Society isn't so much subjective, but there's aspects of what people determine to be important in that, that has a subjective aspect of it. But um, each of these three certainly have their pros and cons. And I guess I'm just trying to learn how to better adjust my own life to um, shape it to be what I want it to be. <laughs> sure. But, so two quick questions. First, where what camp do you put yourself in primarily? And second is a very loaded question, but which one is best? <laughs> <laughs> Very loaded question. Well, I'll start off with the second one of, I don't know which one is best, um, but I'll try and answer to the best of my current understanding. Um, the camp I'll probably put myself in, I logically, when I think about it, would like to put myself in the making a difference camp in terms of I feel like I would maximize my pleasure to use your words of if I were to go around and I guess improve others' lives as much as possible. But in terms of how I end up actually acting, I would say it's more the last camp of just trying to find contentment in my own life. Um, 
I think from a societal perspective, there are certainly things I take away that I value. Like you need some aspect of wealth to function to any healthy extent. And like being healthy is also promoted by society, which is like also clearly a positive. And there's other things that I certainly try to take away, but I wouldn't say I'm so much, I, I might be somewhat intrinsically motivated by them, but I don't see them as being long-term and positive goals to strive for individually, um, personally. Okay. I guess before I move to question two, do you have a thought on which one you would put yourself in? Yeah. When, when I think about this one, I don't like the camp that I think I'm in. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I wish I was in the third one where I could say that what truly makes me happy is finding contentment in my life and, being able to be satisfied with where I am and like be, have that be the thing that maximizes my pleasure. I think that's the most healthy from like a mental health point of view, maybe like if you can be truly satisfied with where you are, then I think that's fantastic. But no, I, I think if I'm being honest with myself, I think I would put myself in the first camp, the, what society promotes. Um, I mean, most decisions that I feel like most people make, myself included, at least from a career perspective, is in search of making more money and, um, you know, reaching a larger audience. And um, I don't know, I don't think that's the most mentally healthy place to be, but it is a motivator and it is good. And that is what makes me happy. But I think in the long run, it's going to be unfulfilling. So I need to somehow do a better job of learning to be satisfied and, you know, gain pleasure from where I am right now. Interesting. Okay. I guess the, the big fear for me with the third camp, and I know you and I have very different general mindsets in this, but it is the reason for my fear is when you accept your own life, I think there's an aspect of stagnation there. Like, I certainly agree that there's an aspect of acceptance that is positive. But when taken to the extreme, it becomes why, why care, if that makes sense. So that negative is um, something to look out for in the third camp. Right. That lack of forward mobility. Maybe it's something to strive for when you're retired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe, but then again, like in retirement, you still have to choose one of these, these three ways. Right. You know? it, it, it still applies. It's just slightly yeah. different. So what do you think is best? What do I think is best? I'm always contradicting myself in terms of if I think contentment is best or meaning is best. Society has its positives, but I've never really considered it to be best, to be honest. Maybe in an ideal society it would be, but certainly not ours. Um, I guess the other day, I, what was the thought I had that I thought pertained to this nicely? I have um, one, if, if you can't think of that one, but like a, just an example that taken to the extreme, of course, like we like to do here. Okay, yes, go ahead. What if a murderer is very content in his life? And that's what's maximizing his pleasure, or at least what is what he or she is claiming maximizes his pleasure. Um, that certainly is an example of where I would consider it to be negative. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to support. Oh, yes, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, I guess my <laughs> argument against that would be just like, like you can be right or wrong about whether certain activities maximize your pleasure, like a thief stealing from a store. It's in or stealing from, you know, a, a grocery store in order to feed his family. Like you could say that's wrong, but what he's what subconsciously thinking is that I need this to feed my family and feeding my family is maximizing my pleasure. But then you could offer facts that says, well, you're running the risk of getting caught, getting imprisoned, and then your family will be even worse off and the cost benefit analysis there doesn't add up. And then you could convince this person that, that action is in fact not maximizing their pleasure. So that's probably where I would come in to the murderer example. But what if like, like you, Wait, I would give a okay. caveat to that. Um, like if, 
let's say you have a serial killer and he is a psychopath, which means he has issues um, sympathizing with others. And so he actually gains pleasure from having this control and domination over um, life and death over other people. So that is maximizing his pleasure. And if you argue otherwise, that's not something you can understand because it's relating to the sympathy yeah. of other people. It doesn't take his own life into that's a good point. account. So I wouldn't say. I don't know if I have a good answer there. Uh, who was I talking to a while ago? It was something similar where those types of people need to exist in a different setting than the rest of humanity. Because, you know, everyone deserves a chance to maximize their pleasure. And every action that you make, you don't have a choice. Like every action you make is what you are trying to do that. And if there's those types of people like you just suggested, where it's true that they are in fact maximizing their pleasure by doing these horrible things, or at least that appear horrible to you know, the rest of humanity, then they need to exist in a setting where they can do that or a place where they can be satisfied, I guess. Uh, I don't know what that looks and like. I have no idea. Theoretical situation. I have no yeah. idea how, how, how you do that. that would even theoretically exactly. come about. Unless you're supposed to put them in no, some I have simulation. No, I no idea. But even if you put them in a simulation of where they're like, you know, brutally murdering other people. I don't think that's necessarily positive to put like to fulfill a, the desires of this. I don't know. Killer. I'm just talking hypothetically here. Like if the goal is to increase the happiness of everyone, then there should be a place where deranged people like this can be happy. Right. Maybe that's a very controversial thought, but it seems to make sense to me. Hmm. I certainly would much, I would steer a hard left to, I guess, modification of their thought processes and trying to have them show in some regard other ways that they can do positive aspects in society. That would be great. I guess I was relying on the assumption that this is the only way that they can be happy. Because if you look at a lot of very successful people, even in America today, many of them end up having close to psychopathic abilities at the high end of the spectrum because of their like, and that helps them with their drive and motivation and, and they can use it in some aspect of positive ways. And then you take it to the other negative extreme and you can also quickly become a serial killer, but there's, there's certainly positives that can be taken away from, I guess, being more calculated. Sure. I mean, yeah, that, that sounds way better. Okay. Well, cool. There was, uh, Anything else that you wanted to hit on any of those three, the, what society promotes and then making a difference in the world than the contentment one? I guess the thought I came up with recently that I've been trying to think about more is if everyone were to simply be content, there's an aspect of societal progress that I think would come to a halt. Um, and that seems wrong to me to some extent, like, but then you also have everyone becoming more happy. So that's right. I'm trying to determine, it seems like people should strive to be greater than they currently are. That seems like a net positive over contentment from a long-term mankind or individualistic. Well, maybe those two aren't mutually exclusive or do you think by definition they have to be? I agree that they are not mutually exclusive. I just think there is no better motivation from what I've seen in other people's lives and my own than being uncomfortable in some regard. And so if you are purely 100% content, it is difficult to find the motivation to move forward. And so that is, I guess, where I'm kind of basing this, this caveat. So, so like being major content in the majority of your life, but saying this could be better or seeing at least the ability to see how something could be improved seems necessary to me. And I still think you could see that while being, while striving for contentment in your life, I think. Um, yes, that's why I said like yeah, at a bare minimum, right. the, being able to see something to be improved. Now, the follow-up question to this is why the hell are striving for these three things good? 
like why should these three things maximize pleasure and why why are they good things and what what me and you kind of talked about however many weeks ago it was um there are certain assumptions that you need to make in order for any of this to make sense it, it makes sense at a high level like obviously choosing contentment in your life is a good thing. Making a difference in the world is also a good thing. Like all of these things we we just know as society are good, but how do we know they're actually good? And there were two things that you brought up to me that should be valued as objectively good. And I absolutely agree. Um, those two things were firstly, autonomy, and secondly, pleasure or happiness or whatever you want to say, whatever word you want to use there. Um, is that still the mindset that you fall into? Do you think that still works? Um, yes. And I would also put the caveat in that order, at least from an individualistic standpoint of autonomy first, followed by happiness. Slash okay. Pleasure. So if autonomy is first, maybe, maybe it makes sense to define autonomy for the people out there. Do you have a good definition you want me to lose? to use or I can look one up real quick. Um, I guess I can try to explain it. Okay, go ahead. So autonomy is, I guess, (laughs) contrary to the complete debate you had on free will, the ability to, I guess, dictate your own life. So this is infringed upon in Brave New World by, I guess, you just being conformed to having a certain job or place in society that was static and you can't do anything about it. And you're forced to think, I guess, in a certain way, even if your happiness is maximized, you don't have the ability to, to change. So you're sacrificing your autonomy there. And, but at its base, it's also just life in general. If you're taking away someone's life, you are taking away their ability to control that. I think a good synonym would be freedom. So like exactly like you said, if you're taking away someone's life, you're taking away their right to life, their freedom. Like they're not choosing that, right? Even on a subconscious level though. Sure. Because in Brave New World, it's largely they're trying to specifically aim towards the subconscious level. So I think that's also something that you should do. Like a form of moral independence. Yeah. so, So like we were talking about autonomy should be the number one thing valued as objective good and followed closely by pleasure. Um, but is there any example that you can think of where pleasure should be more valuable than autonomy? The only thing that I could think of was potentially when you take society as a whole into account. Um, for example, people have to work to to live and have their well-being and like promote society that to me seems to potentially infringe on their autonomy of being able to do whatever they want whenever they please but kind of promotes the happiness of society as a whole um long term i think there might be an argument there but i can't at least personally come up with a good argument from an individualistic standpoint of when autonomy should be demoted below happiness or pleasure. Yeah, I really can't think of a good example either. Um, Something else that we kind of talked about a while ago was the death penalty, for instance. Like that seems to infringe overtly on autonomy, right? Like, and it's, it's still around in a lot of states. What's your opinion on that? Do you think like clearly that's infringing on autonomy? And if it's, if autonomy is the number one thing that is valued as objective good, it seems like it should be banned, right? Um, purely from the definition we have given so far, yes. But going back to earlier in this conversation, when it comes to these end cases of psychopaths and serial killers, I tend to go down the route of trying to reform them rather than just remove them. Because that doesn't seem, but yeah. So if a mass killer was executed by, you know, by the death penalty, then we could say that, is that an example of putting, oh, well, I guess you could say either, so you could say one of two things, either one, you're putting the autonomy of the entire society above that person's autonomy, which then 
that's a justification you could use or um, this general society's pleasure will not be maximized with someone like that doing those actions and killing people. Is that fair? Yes. Um, yes, that is, okay. that is fair. When you take society into account, I certainly agree. I, it just makes me nervous when you can, you, you like you run into these situations that you just find yourself justifying just kind of for the hell of it. Like it seems, it seems like you yeah. can justify <laughs> these things, but maybe you can't. It still seems to me like you should educate though. I'm still of that opinion, even though there's plenty of good arguments for that being difficult or at a bare minimum expensive to do on right. all scales. Yeah, it just freaks me out. Any, and I'm all for not infringing on autonomy, obviously. So what about you? When is a case of where happiness is at least close? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, is the Brave New World situation close? I mean, obviously they're infringing on autonomy there, but everyone's happiness, like that, that's taken to the extreme, right? That actually, that is the perfect example of when pleasure goes right above autonomy on the objective good list. And then obviously a society that we live in is them flip-flopped. Maybe that's the only real difference between that society and ours is that that ranked objective good. Um, I think there's plenty of other differences. <laughs> I would say that's, that's a major that, one. I'm saying like that's the root difference. That's what caused that society to develop. Like it's too much emphasis was placed on personal happiness. Um, I, I certainly agree. Once autonomy is achieved, let's say no one's autonomy is infringed upon, is the next goal after that to then maximize happiness as like the secondary objective? Yeah, I think so. I like what other value is there other than autonomy and pleasure? True. Uh, I, the question I would then go down is soma. Is it? What's the, the drug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soma is the drug. So what about if everyone voluntarily takes Soma? Uh, then if everyone voluntarily takes Soma, I would question on if autonomy is really not being infringed upon. Because <laughs> that sounds like it definitely is. <laughs> but they're, they're choosing to do it, I guess. Like there's... Everyone, 100% of people are choosing to take Soma. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Or even, let's say it's 95%. Then I don't see what's wrong with that. Only if 100% people are. What's wrong with, what's the difference? Uh, no, no, not that difference. I was like 100% of people voluntarily choose to take Soma. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I see the problem with that. Because neither autonomy nor pleasure are being infringed upon. Do you? Well, it, it it's maximizing pleasure there in a euphoric state. Um, to me, yeah. this is where something seems to break down, even though I might not have been able to verbally identify it yet because it seems like a society like picture where we become an interstellar species and we go to another world and everyone is just in this euphoric drug state you'll be like what the heck is going on like why are they like this you know <laughs> like that seems wrong okay. it seems like even if they're choosing to do it like that their choice is flawed why because nothing is progressing they become stagnant it seems like there is an aspect of becoming greater than you are is something that should be potentially put on this list. Hmm. Okay. So if we were to add this other value of becoming greater than you are, however we want to phrase it, should it fall between autonomy and pleasure then? Cause it sounds like that's what you would promote. Um, well, I'm, I'm kind of just hashing this out with you currently, but yes. No, totally. In, in general, probably. Like in, that in that model you just gave, like that value should be placed higher than pleasure. Um, yes, I guess then, but I, I don't know if it should always be placed higher than pleasure. Um, okay. Because it seems like there's also an aspect of if you are always trying to be greater than you are, 
then you're never just enjoying what you are. Right. And so it seems like there's a balance there rather than a hierarchy. Sure. Interesting. Okay. So we have up to this point, just from this little hashed out thing we just had, we have autonomy as the overarching umbrella and then a seesaw right beneath the umbrella with pleasure and becoming greater than yourself balancing on these two. Watch We're going to do a bunch of research after this podcast and we're going to like, you know, start typing in the values of objective good, what values should be considered objective good. And there's going to be like a philosopher a thousand years ago who already came up with all of this. And we're like, oh shit, we're late to the party. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's interesting. Do you think it's possible to, I mean, how do I phrase this? Is Soma the only way to truly maximize pleasure? Like if 100% of people are voluntarily taking Soma, th- there's other ways that it, it, people could be maximizing the pleasure. It at least right? is maximizing their their sensual pleasure. Or, or at least maybe not in the book, but you could picture a drug that maximizes sensual pleasure, right? Maybe, maybe we... <laughs> I know you've been advocating to, for us to not stop using the word pleasure here, <laughs> but maybe we do need to add a little something to this and say fulfillment, like it, maximizing pleasure in order to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So if you're just taking Soma, yes, you're maximizing your sensory pleasure, but you're not gaining any fulfillment from that. Are you? Um, I would say no. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe these two things are one of the same, or we just need a better defined pleasure or use a different word entirely. Uh, I think there still is, a, well, I agree with what you just said, but I think there is still a difference between becoming greater than you are and sensual pleasure. Because let's say you go to this other society and to bring it back a notch, people might not have as openly um, like negative of opinion as this is going to see a world where everyone is just drugged all the time. But let's say everyone is living in like 10,000 years ago. And they know that they could progress, but they don't. And there's still disease and struggle and death that could largely be minimized. And they know how to get out of this, but they're content in how things just are. So why would they not get out? Because they're content with where they are. But if they know a way out, they're just not willing to put in the effort. Is that it? Um, yeah, like they're just they're content with the amount of effort that they're putting in. And they don't really want to put in more than that then I don't think you could ever say that what they're doing is wrong. Even though they could. Okay. Well, let's, let's take it to an extreme just to, you know, have more of a contrast response. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Let's say you have a world and 50% of all the babies die within the first five years. Okay. 50%. And they know that they could progress out of their, I guess, traditions to like develop cures for this, but they already have all of these different ways that they are just following their, like their their lives are routine. They have a routine to their lives and they're content in their routine. And the only way to save all of these babies would be to diverge from their routine. I guess in this case, you could argue it's autonomy versus autonomy because you have the autonomy of the adults versus the autonomy of the lives of like all of these children who are dying. So what's the question? Like, could you say they're wrong for not developing the technology or not taking the necessary steps to save more children? Yes. And I would argue that they are wrong. <laughs> okay. This is, this gets into the moral obligation question. Like, do you have a moral obligation to assist someone in need? And it's a good question. There certainly seems to be a line of where I would, I at least personally would say yes. That, that there is but a line. Why? why? Because you're optimizing autonomy. I guess that's... that's hmm. If you're saying that you have to do something, like you're like in this society that you just, that you made up here, by saying you have an obligation to develop this technology, 
when someone doesn't want to, isn't that taking away some of their freedoms? Yes. I guess in this case, I'm optimizing autonomy of the species over autonomy of the individual. So okay. it seems like there is a point where you need to sacrifice portions of your autonomy to maximize autonomy of the group. That makes sense. Yeah. I can be on board with that, but the problem that I see immediately is determining when those situations actually exist. <laughs> like, how is it even possible to know when a certain decision is maximizing the autonomy of the entire group versus the individual? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if we want to, I, I agree. But I don't think within the time span we have, we can hash out whether or not no, how you can no. determine all situations are good or bad. So I'm just trying to define the terms of what's good to the best of my ability. Yeah. Well, at least the example you gave provides us some sort of context that says there are situations that could exist mm-hmm. where the autonomy of the society should be valued over the autonomy of the individual. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Now, I'm going to, I know we only have about. 10 minutes here left, but, um, these kind of conversations, I'm curious as, um, I mean, you've known me a long time, Chad, through high school, through college, and I'm sure interacted with plenty of other people and had conversations like these maybe, but how important are these type of, you know, these conversations that involve value and free will and philosophy, how, like, do you find them productive? Do you find them helpful? And when you're, you know, moving to a new city and trying to meet people and making new friends and that kind of thing, do you find yourself having more of these conversations or is is it more (laughs) like Uh, just very service level? How's the weather stuff? This, that's an interesting question. Um, For one, I have been trying to, as you know, learn how to become better at making friends in new locations because I came, I recently moved to Boston. And when I moved here, I literally knew zero people in all of Boston. So trying to undertake and like making friends while being an adult and not being forced into situations with peers outside of work has certainly been an interesting um, adventure to say the least. But when it comes to these deep topics of what is like good and evil and what's considered free will and how that impacts lives and all of things of that sort, there's certainly things I love to discuss, but you have to be wary when talking to new people about that. <laughs> Cause if you sure. go to a new person, you're like, so what's the difference between good and evil? Like no one's going to take you seriously. But um, I certainly find them useful when applied and kind of going back to why I think why you asked me to be on this podcast originally was because I was starting to compare those three different um, reasons in my, my own life. And I think when people can better steer their own lives in a path that they choose and that they see as positive, then it becomes extremely beneficial. Um, But there is always the caveat of, spinning your wheels for no reason, or I guess for the sake of knowledge or for the sake of just interest or curiosity, um, that doesn't have the same meaning to me as when it can be applied. And so it, it is helpful, I guess, in when trying to determine if I'm taking the right steps in my life, if they are good or bad. And so that is what I see as most helpful. What about yourself? Yeah, I've um, used these kind of topics actually, because as as you guys know, I'm like relocated to the Bay Area too, and knew virtually no one. I had a couple family members in this area, but that was about it. Um, but I've kind of found that these sort of topics can really be good icebreakers as long as they're approached in the right manner like you can <laughs> definitely not you can't be condescending can't you know say you're wrong you can't do any of this stuff like you like but they can be very good icebreakers like so i'm gonna i'll provide a specific example so chad actually so chad came to no i'm sorry this was in 
Seattle, I think. Uh, Chad and I took a little road trip up there last year uh, to visit some of his friends. And um, one of his friends' name was John. And this was like the second time I met him, but the first time we had like zero interaction. Um, But we were out at a bar and we were kind of chatting a little bit. And I had been thinking a lot on the free will topic back in the day and uh, just kind of we talked about hobbies. I was like, oh, maybe I'm start a podcast, maybe and talk about these kind of topics. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, yeah, let me get your take on it real quick. Like, what do you think about these things? And asking those kind of deeper questions, I noticed like John and I got along great, like the rest of the evening and the next day. Uh, So it acted as a really good icebreaker. Um, Hmm. So I don't don't know. It was a good effect that it had. I guess um, I'm happy for that. But John being one of my close friends, I feel like there might be a a small sample size that you're taking of. Like I I enjoy discussing, I'm like having discussions with my closest friends that are about these deep topics. And so friends of mine will more inherently like these in comparison to the average person. Um, Because there's at least, I'll give some examples for me in Boston. There have been times where I've talked to people about, you know, like free will or something of that sort. And people kind of look at you. Maybe I approached it poorly going back to your original statement of like, why are you talking to me about this? Yeah. Like right. we have no investment in one another, at least not to the point of where this would actually make a difference. So there's certainly, I don't know if it's a person to person based thing, or maybe it's because like it's a friend of a friend. So there's already some connection and yeah, that reputation there. But. That's fair. Well, my homework between now and the next podcast is to go try this stuff out on a stranger and I'll report back <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. Well, Chad, looking forward to having you back uh, sometime soon. Um, there's plenty of topics that I would love to hash out with you. So mm-hmm. if you'll be back, we'd, we'd love to have you. Yeah, uh, I'd be. I'm very interested on how you continue to develop this podcast um, further and further. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Eventually, I would like to start incorporating some fitness stuff and love to have you back for that because uh, Chad was a big track athlete in in high school and then <laughs> rock climbing in college so love to chat with you about that too sometime uh, but anyway thank you again chad and thank you all for listening uh, and i will see you in the next show